0: Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, But and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the... Uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now, there's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with... Brother Colton, uh, for a few moments this afternoon, we're talking about math. Uh, That's a a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Ahmad? That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math... My brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works, and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, And I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, He proves every day His love for you. His mercies you every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up. Teenagers, did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead A reminder of his love for us we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight But I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2 I want to take a few moments uh, Just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word uh, Just to relish in what God's done uh, Just to praise him, just to worship him tonight Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 But God Who's rich in mercy for his great love, forwith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise.
1: Lord, we get a few
0: glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God. Worthy is the Lamb. Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And w- would it take more money, would it take better health, would it take greater happiness in your life, more comfort, a better job, a bigger house, a new car, what would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was, I think that's right, maybe ninety four. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. (laughs) But my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake, it was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think, Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think, chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, You know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake (laughs) and as a birthday gift and that day. As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does. Everything God does, He does for a specific purpose. He he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always... If we look in the the account of creation in Genesis all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He he loves us. He, He does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes of you know, God searched through heaven looking for God didn't search through heaven. I I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back on oh, no, man, what am I gonna do now? Man sin, where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for Because he loves man God never throws anybody away For a little over a year now God's put a burden on my heart I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon But God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably. But God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away. We live in a culture today, Christian culture, where we give the gospel out. And we try to reach people. In so many churches, if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be, if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house, and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel, and he watched as the potter broke the vessel, but he didn't throw the clay away, he simply started again. Christian we need to understand the love of God that God doesn't throw you away he doesn't throw me away he desires to use us and to mold us and to make us now does that mean that we're I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do there are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks In the potter's house, we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily. We look at it as, wow, something good happened today. God loves me. Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maud fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, beautiful. I'm beautiful. Exactly. Now I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, He still loves me. When I... When I disobey Him, He still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but He answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight and I I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening but I want to share four thoughts four proofs of God's love and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5 But God Who's rich in mercy for his great love for he loved us even when we were dead in sins. Hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one. He quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago. Is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you're a born-again child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but He quickens you. When I was in grade seven, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway Through the living room into the kitchen and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. (sighs) How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball? kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully. Colton, you having you haven't trouble yet? I know it's he's a he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still. Uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. <laughs> she might have even said a, a real foul word like "shut up." I don't know what she said, but she's. What's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof and he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder, he jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit, and they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down. The nurses holding me down. And that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Armada. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because He quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter A there, He quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of His mercy and His love towards us in verse 4. We were dead in sins in verse 5. We were hell bound. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you... And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, a commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, So does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all. And enlarges his soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said. Our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John three sixteen For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people, in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed, he, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mc, Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer who so I was thinking of, who, Killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I I'm, I want to make available to him salvation, I had you trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we call, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And He doesn't love you because He wants to get something from you, He doesn't love you because He's he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And His love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick, and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? (laughs) I was a boy. I I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. I think sauerkraut's awesome, Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us. With an everlasting love, First John four: Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God dwelleth. God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. God's proven his love through his Son Jesus Christ. Number two, the number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin. All of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. Mm-hmm. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it. All of sin, it was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on. When he came off of that cross, was buried with him. Was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom, that I preached back in '90. It was '98. My wife and I had been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket to be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb, your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary, he took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus taking my sin to the tomb? <laughs> because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He he rose again, meeting that sin was put ever behind Him. In the book of Psalm, chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, Amen. nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, and hath raised us up together. And made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you, those that know the English language better than I do, will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So, preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights. After they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground. When he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his his love. He, He quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with Him. I was buried with Him. I was risen with Him. He brought within the redemption of our new creation. I'm not just safe from hell. And I praise God I'm safe from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother well, mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, I, I Here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I am saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done. As we see his love, I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very, very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you would almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was. Maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in, and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this, and uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. Carrie was punching me. but Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world. You know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple of weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in Him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, Join heirs with Christ. Eternity's my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in Him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. And His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number three tonight, we see here that He shows Grace. He shows kindness. Now, if I let Brother Eric be God tonight, his wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face, I mean just. Eric's a mild-mannered and genteel <laughs> gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point. Like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Chicken. Popeye's chicken. That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase, I've stood all I could stand and I can't stands no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, There would come a point, the point would have come a long time ago, where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are but because of who He is. How wonderful here He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of His grace in kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see His love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with Him and through all eternity, grace, kindness. God shows His love every day. Every day. It is of His mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening, Mr. Edwards who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he he wrote down his messages He was very poor of scene. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face, probably probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem, as he would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It said in a monotone voice, Brother Armand, wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. Amen. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell at any moment could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you that's where I was? but that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety, speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I've I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you. There's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a a dummy. But I I just knew I'm supposed to be here The Lord knows If he wants me here Then I'm supposed to be here I remember going in a building And as I went to go in the building The police In the police station At the bottom of the building Looked at me and said Don't go in here If you go in that elevator And you do not come back Chicago police They told me We will not come look for you We don't care what happens to you After you go in that door We're not coming up there Just so you know you're on your own. So, no, "I'm good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So a pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory. God's blessing. We see His kindness. We see His grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here, he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation... I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory, with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four. Lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 For we are His workmanship Created in Christ Jesus unto Good works Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in Them Number four tonight as we see the next proof Of God's love for us He created you not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows and I, several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad and I didn't use fiberglass, I used God's fiberglass. Some of you know what God's fiberglass is, bamboo. And I I did a tri-lam bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you, was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form, and uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded, and I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think on the top, bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we're all soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something, I called my dad Paul. As I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars. Uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up and general area probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live and he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside, and just a little bit of everything. You go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you'd go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but anyway, they... There in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel actually come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there. And there was an old knife, an old hunting knife. And this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store and this little town near where he knew that i was from that area and he thought i want to do something nice to pay him back he paid a few bucks maybe 20 30 maybe 50 bucks i don't remember he bought this old knife it was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart the knife was pitted and old and he sent it to me as a gift and i i was overwhelmed that's really neat that's really awesome really cool old knife and thanks to the wonders of the internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that, and I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value as far as the world's concerned for that knife is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me, his signature. He made me, he made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2, unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of Him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, This is a faithful say. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created. Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So listen to this statement. They await your doing. God God created you to walk in those works. Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way... When I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly, God spared them. They didn't. Several times, they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this. Preaching the word of God. Praise the
2: Lord.
0: As an evangelist in the southern U.S. Amen. Every time he opens the Bible. And lays on the pulpit as a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I I was never a drunkard. I I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving Him praise for what He's done for us. For dying on the cross, forgiving our sin, placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for His purpose the growth process 2 Peter Peter chapter 1 verse 5 I'm not going to turn there tonight but virtue on knowledge on temperance, on patience on godliness, on brotherly kindness on love, we need to surrender to that process number 3, how do we walk in good works I'm going to close with this thought tonight by serving by serving in all areas of good works what is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do? Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your or your child to do or or the Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, and I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. he will pull out a notebook and I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. Right. He, he's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls... Just like little Samuel, days gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Mark? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And Lord, a lot of them don't get done because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love that you've proven over and over and over again in Scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose? May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember the Colton. Let's
2: sing together. 301. Only trust in number 301. Come, every soul, I say.
0: you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we Be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful. That purpose. That fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray.
1: Thanks for coming. I love to be with God's people, and boy, tonight is no exception to that. It's wonderful to be here. Choir, thank you for singing, and I appreciate that, and then everybody who participated, uh, great job, Brother Colton, leading the singing and getting us going on that. I love to be in God's house, and I'm very thankful. I had the joy, my dad got saved when he was um, 11 years old. Uh, His mom was an alcoholic, family was dysfunctional, challenges in every way, crystal balls and carrot cards and things of that nature and a Sunday school teacher in a local church was given a room by his pastor and said would you would you teach the junior age boys and he wasn't content to have one or two kids he went out every Saturday and sometimes the nights and tried to find kids to come and be in his class and he, my dad my uncle told me just a little small fellow compared to my uncle he said just a little man John but That guy would get us to go in there, and he would teach us the Bible. And, of course, your dad and I, we just tried to stay away from Mom on the weekends because it was so difficult to be there when Mama was drunk. And so he gave us a chance to be there, taught us the Bible, and gave us a cookie and a a cup of of Kool-Aid, and we went off to big church. One day, he tapped your dad on the shoulder and said, Richard, could you stay after class? He put a folding chair in the corner That's where the teacher sat. He turned another folding chair facing him, and he said, Richard, sit here. And he began to take a Bible and show your daddy how to be saved. He said, that day was the best day of your dad's life. He always, he came into big church about 20 minutes later, said, Douglas, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I know for sure I'm saved now. I'm going to heaven. Douglas, you're going to hell. You're not saved yet, you know? And he was... Giving it to him, he said, Richard, we're talking, just us listen in church here, man. You know." And all week, he was so excited. He went home and told Mom he was saved, and Mama was drunk. And she said, no, you can't be saved. The Bible says you have to be 12 to be saved, and you're still 11. And uh, he said, no, Mama, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. And that week, that week, all week long, your, your dad was so excited. I told, I told him, I said, listen, tell the teacher to tap me on the shoulder today. I want to sit in that chair. And the next week he said, I got saved. The teacher showed me how to be saved. And, of course, what a blessing to know that a local church did its job. Everybody gets saved. There has to be three factors. There has to be the Word of God because faith cometh by hearing. There has to be the Spirit of God because he has to bring conviction of sin, of righteousness and judgment. He's the one. I can't bring anyone conviction. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But I'm glad he does his job. And then a third factor is a local church has to do its job. A local church needs to protect and to propagate the truth. And, uh, boy, the way you keep the truth and protect the truth is by keep getting it out. <laughs> you ever hear something real funny? You heard a joke and you say, oh, man, when I go home, I'm going to tell my family about this joke. And you get home and you can't remember the joke? <laughs> that ever happened to you or is it just me It happens to you? Oh, it's frustrating. You're like, oh, it was so funny. I laughed. Oh, what was it? You know how you can remember a joke? Tell a joke. <laughs> you tell it, you remember it. You know how you keep the truth? You tell the truth. Amen. You keep getting the gospel out and you'll keep that. So many churches. And the Bible says the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. truth. Yeah, there's a lot of churches. They have buildings. They have parking lots. They have cars. They have pastors. Have programs. They just don't have the truth. <laughs> Couldn't find the truth there with a flashlight. <coughs> and you went to ask the pastor how to get to heaven Mary They wouldn't know. He or she wouldn't be able to tell you. Wouldn't be able to tell you how to get to heaven from there. Because they've lost the truth. And boy, I'm so glad for local churches and uh, each of our pastors that are here, you represent uh, a local church in the vision. You're the captain of world evangelism. And I am so glad that you are doing what God's called you to do. There's just two positions open in Christianity. One, is to be the pastor of your church. The other one is to help your pastor, pastor of that church. And that's if your job is to pastor, then do the best job you can. If your job is to is to help your pastor, then decide, you know what, I'm gonna be a dedicated helper. And I'm gonna help my pastor, pastor of the church, God's given to pastor, and do the very best you can do in any arena and play your role. And it's wonderful. Labors together with God. I've been thinking about this theme since uh Pastor Rice sent me an email and told me this is what they're going to be doing, and, and I'm excited about this. He's hoping to baptize son, someone Sunday morning and break right through that, laying them together, just break through that and uh, be excited about that. 149 days without an accident, and the last accident was Brother Rice. He had an accident, and so this is going great right here. And so you guys all be careful going down the steps tonight. We don't want to another... make sure you're here for the safety meeting tomorrow morning at 830, all right? And uh, we'll... I don't know, we might, we might just eat, eat too many donuts and drink too, many co- too much coffee. We might have an accident after that. But uh, it's a joy to be with you. My wife and I are so thrilled to know what God is doing north of our border. But we're grateful for what God is doing south of your border too. And, and I'm glad that we have a time. And it's a great time to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, we can find all kinds of problems. But nothing happened in politics keeps me from telling someone else about Jesus Christ. Nothing happened in the world or attacks are going to keep you from going across the street and talking to someone about Christ. Or giving out a gospel track, as Pastor said just a moment ago. I'm so glad he said that. You know who gives out gospel tracks? People that have them. <laughs> if you don't have them, you're not going to give them out. I, I gave one today to a guy named Jason. I said, Jason, let me tell you, this tells you about Jesus he said, Pastor, I'm from India, and I just got baptized a few weeks ago. He goes, I was Hindu, but now I'm a Christian. I just became a Christian. I said, oh, that's great. We're going to talk more about that in my stay there at the hotel, but I'm looking forward to that. You know, it tracks what they do. It tracks determines someone's curiosity. You know, when you give someone a gospel track and they tear it up and throw it in the ground, you can take away that they're not really interested right now, right? You can say... Uh, they're not real curious right now. That's what happens. They determine someone's curiosity. If they hand it back to you or lie to want it or whatever. You just know Well, that they're not ready right now. They need a little more sunshine of God's love. They need a little more moisture from God's grace and His heavens to, to, to land on their heart. They're just not interested right now. So when you give a track, you can determine someone's interest. Now, if they take it and start looking at it uh, and start looking at that and say, you know, I've been looking for a church. Okay, now you know there's some interest there. Now you know you can... Talk, and they open up conversation with people. You can begin to talk with conversation. And then another thing a lot of gospel track I love is they go places that you're not going to go. They'll end up in junk drawers and, and in people's pockets. have a sweet little lady. She's a, a missionary's wife in Belarus. And her daddy was drunk on the, on, on the platform of a, a train station. And somehow or another, someone gave him a track, and he took it, he put it in his pocket. He stumbled on home, and his wife pulled his clothes off and took his jacket off, and he passed out. And she looked at his jacket, and she found a track. And she had it set up into the wee hours of the morning and began to read that track. And by herself, she accepted the Lord as her Savior. Later that next week, she... Led her daughter through that track, and that little girl, at 13 years old, accepted the Lord, and now she's a pastor's wife in Belarus because of a gospel track. Amen. I remember one day watching a man kind of come into the church a little bit late, and he was over here in my right, and I saw him come in. I was very interested, but I preached the message and shook his hand, and he said, uh, I, "I said, uh, I said, what brings you?" He goes, "Oh, you wouldn't believe it." He goes. Uh, Someone gave me a paper, and, um, and, but it's been a long time, and I said, I said, well, listen, can I talk to you about it? He goes, no, no, can you come to my house? His name was Andy, and then his wife's name was T, and I went to Andy and T's house, and we went and talked to them and went through the gospel track, we got, went through the gospel with them, and they both accepted Jesus Christ. He said, you know what happened? I was, um, he about about a year and a half, two years ago, I was at a funeral of a family member, and a lady walked up to me and she told me a track. And I have twin daughters. He said, you need to get those girls in church. You need to take them. He said, By that time I had a good job. I was doing good. I didn't have an interest in church. He said, I took the track and I don't know how, but this over the last few weeks I've been going through a hard time. He goes, that job I had, I have to get another job and it doesn't pay as well. So I'm going through some problems with my wife and the kids are struggling. I'm just not doing good. And Sunday afternoon, I was cleaning out a junk drawer, and I found that paper. I looked on there and said, you know, I can make it. It's only 4.30 now. I can be at that church the time it starts. I just drove to the church tonight, and that's what God did to bring him to Jesus Christ, a gospel track. You know, you never can know what might happen with that, and I'm glad pastor brought that to our attention this evening. And I love, love being with you, and I'm really glad to share a few moments. I know we didn't get in here to get out, but... I don't want to be a long time. I heard about one guy he said I got so much to say in the message I don't know where to start. A little kid in the back says start somewhere toward the end. <laughs> so uh, we'll try to get started here shortly here in just a second. And uh, but I am so glad to be with you. I, and I'll tell you a little bit more about our story maybe tomorrow. But uh, I had the joy to be raised in a Christian home, and my dad met my beautiful mom Janelle and. They were married, and my dad's lived with Jesus for 28 years, but um, my mother had a great uh, background. Her, her dad was a Christian, her mom was a Christian, and one of his gran- her grandparents were Christians. And, but um, they met each other, and God gave them a love relationship. They had six children. My name is John. I'm their oldest son. They, I have three brothers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, we're all pastors of a church. We pastor a church in Indiana and Illinois, Texas, and Tennessee. And then we have two sisters, Acts and Romans. I'm just joking, not really. <laughs> uh, their names are Jan and Mary. But, but uh, my sister is a missionary in a, in a Muslim country of Adjur And my other sister has taught in a Christian school for years. And so thankful for churches like this one. And uh, my dad had happy feet, so he didn't stay in one place very long and moved around a lot. And, um, and, but we always had good men of God. Sometimes the church buildings were a little large like this one was. Sometimes they were smaller. Sometimes the pastor was older. Sometimes he was younger. Sometimes he preached really long. Sometimes he preached really short. I like those short, short uh, messages. They had different, different styles and different backgrounds. Some went to Bible institutes and some got master's degrees from college. One thing I just remember about my pastors, they all loved the Lord. And they did the best they could do, and they preached the Word of God, and they opened up camps and took us to camps and VBSs, and and they fixed the buildings, and they put fuels in vans and buses and picked up people and took us to nursing homes, like Pastor Arbo was telling about just a few moments. What a great testimony that is. And it just did the right things the right way for the right reasons. And boy, I'm so blessed by that. I got to watch that. I never thought I'd ever be a pastor. I was a school teacher for 11 years, and I had managed to preach seven times in my 11 years after I finished Bible college until I, until I became a pastor. And uh, three of those times, I was so nervous I got sick and threw up, and it was miserable. And the other four times, the audience got sick and threw up. You know, and (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't pretty. (laughs) But uh, I was grading my high school English papers and. And on April the 18th in 2000, and a phone rang. I picked it up, and it was a deacon of a church, and they had not had a pastor what would be 13 months without a pastor. And uh, they said, really, everything, everyone who's here is here because they want to be here. Everybody else has kind of left and wonder if you would be willing to come and be our pastor. And I said, well, you know, I'll pray for you, but I don't think I could be your pastor, you know. I could think about a couple people that might help you. And he goes, well, we don't want your recommendations. We want you to consider being our pastor, and that changed my life. And for these last 24 years now, almost, I've had the joy to partner with my wife and God's people and uh, in the work of the Lord. And it's a wonderful thing. It's not an easy thing. It's not always the devil. The devil's strategies have not changed. To attack the shepherd so he can scatter the sheep. They're Always banging away. Every pastor has a bullseye on him. Every missionary has a bullseye on him that the devil's trying to get him to sit still for a second so he can let go his arrows of doubt and hurt and difficulties. That's why you want to be a blessing to your pastor and uh, be an encouragement to them. Uh, pastors struggle. It's not easy sometimes. I'm not seeking for any sympathy. I'm just telling you. Uh, they're just You just you got to put your pants on the same way everybody else does. You're just a human being. You have a different position. But uh, pastors, oftentimes, they struggle with inadequacies. They don't feel like they're worthy to do it, and they're not doing a good job. And if they were doing a better job, more things would happen. They get bad thoughts that come to their mind that, and, and there's always bullies and critics, somebody in the congregation and somebody on the Internet, someone who watches the the live stream just wants to give them an email or call them or text them and say, that wasn't right, or you need to study your Bible more or whatever. Just always have an opinion about something. Financial pressures, whatever financial pressures a person would have, they have a, more so in the ministry because God has designed money to be in the middle of things, and it just It's challenging. It's difficult. Uh, People, you know, when they call your pastor, they, you know, no one calls, you know, call nurse, call doctor, call policeman, but they'll say, call pastor. (laughs) You know, someone dies, call pastor. Have a baby, call pastor. You know, want to get married, call pastor. Can't pay your rent, call pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Having financial problems, call pastor. And marriage problems, call pastor. And, you know, that's a wonderful role in the life of believers. At the same time, there's a lot of pressure that goes with that, a lot of challenges. And I uh, I thank God for the men of God that are here. And I thank you for coming. And I'm thankful for this church, Cornerstone Baptist Church. Thank you for hosting the meeting and, and expending already. You've been taking offerings over and over and praying for the meeting and um, I know a little bit about hosting a conference, and it's just not done on spare time and pocket change. And many of you who paid and taken time off work to come and be here and spend a couple days with us, thank you for coming. And uh, your presence and your participation are really big. Uh, We were going to have this meeting whether you came or not. (laughs) But because you came, it's a lot better. And your presence encourages me, it encourages my wife, it encourages Pastor and Mrs. Rice, and actually everybody around you. It's just a blessing that you would take the time and effort and energy to come. We're glad to be with you. Looking forward to sharing time together as we talk about laboring together. If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Corinthians chapter number 3. 4, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter number 4. Of course, the theme of the conference is laboring together. And that comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Bible tells us, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Uh, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. By the way, God's looking for faithfulness. And He rewards faithfulness. Um, it's, and really, faithfulness is the key to fruitfulness. And we want to be fruitful. But the truth of the matter is, God's looking at faith. He doesn't say, well done, thou good and fruitful servant. Now, He wants us to be fruitful. But uh, we don't know all that's going on. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, another time, maybe. But uh, one thing the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He tells us that that, um, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. See, what's the Lord going to do when He comes? He's going to pull back the curtain. Of the evil works of darkness, what was really going in the satanic world against what was going, what, what 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 we're trying to accomplish? And then he'll pull back another curtain, and that is the motives of the heart. What was really going on in in here? Not only in your heart, but the heart of your adversaries, the heart of the people. And then shall every man have praise of God. And for friend, that's what we want to do. We want to. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to spend the rest of our eternity with him if we know him. We certainly would like to be faithful to him while we have a chance. And this is the parentheses of time. If you're going to do your giving, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Okay? Uh, Listen, If there's no soul winning in heaven. There's no gospel tracks in heaven. There's no need for it. There's not going to be a missions conference in heaven. There's not going to be a, an offering taken in heaven for a building someplace. No, if you're going to do that, you've got to do that now. If you're going to witness, you might as well witness now. If you're going to give, let's give today. Let's find what we can do today and, because uh, Jesus is going to come. And if he doesn't come in our lifetime, we're going to see him. And he says it's the point of every man once to die, and after that, it's the evaluation. And we'll give an account of the deeds done while in our body, while we're still breathing, what we did with our time and our talents, our our training, our trials, our our tribe, our uh, our teaching. Whatever happened to us, I don't have to give an account for you. You don't have to give an account for me. But to whom much is given, (laughs) much is required. And may the Lord help us to be faithful about that. And he said, but we're laborers together with God. I think sometimes, every once in a while, we get in a little thought that we think, oh, man, I want to do great things for God. I'm not in that group. I want to do great things with Him. (laughs) I'm not interested in trying to impress Him. I can't do that. But I like going where He's going. Years ago, we have nine children. All of them are girls except for seven. And uh, we have all those kids (laughs) But when those kids were little, my wife, we'd get like, every few years, we'd get some nice carpet, and she'd say, "John, let's take our shoes off at the door, and and put all the shoes there." And boys, so that was what we we would do that, and our kids did the same things. So I'd come in and, and get my uh, my shoes off and put them there. But whenever it was time to get my shoes on, you know, I just I'd start I'd sit down in the chair by the door and start putting my shoes on. Inevitably, one of the little kids would come up to me. And they go, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're scurrying around trying to find their shoes. And then they get them together and they go, Daddy, Daddy, I go, I go. I say, where am I going? I don't know. You know, they didn't know where I was going. They just wanted to go where I was going. You know why they want to go where I'm going? Because I have money and they're broke. (laughs) I can drive a car. They can't drive a car. I like to stop at Tim Hortons. (laughs) I like to stop at a, at a convenience store. I like to get a snack every now and then. So they know if they go with Dad, he's got control, he's got money, and he likes snacks. You know, the truth of the matter is, when God puts his shoes on, you need to get your shoes together too. And say, Lord, I want to go where you're going. I want to do what you want me to be done. And that's important. Boy, that's important for all of us. Tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, laboring together through trials. Difficult times or, or just everyone has them. I have them and you have them. Maybe some of you say, Pastor, I, I'm not going to need this message. I'm doing good right now. Well, bless your heart. That's what they say in the South. If, they, if you don't really like someone, you just say, bless your heart. No, no. no, I'm just teasing. But you know the truth of the matter is? Maybe you came here and said, Pastor, I, I'm doing great. I'm happy for you. Keep breathing, because you're going to probably have some difficult times. You know, the Bible's all about people who had some difficult times. I, if you won't study, God tells the good and the bad and the ugly. He tells the good days of David. He tells some bad days of David. He says the good days of, of Saul when he was humble and his side. He talked about well, chasing donkeys. Then he talked about a time where he became presumptuous. He talks about Peter preaching at Pentecost, but he doesn't leave out that Peter cursed and denied the Lord. He tells the good and the bad. He tells about Paul and his missionary journeys, and tells Paul and his big spat with, with uh, Barnabas. He kind of tells the good and the bad. Trials are reality. You can't listen to the Apostle Paul without reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and he goes through the litany of different things that he had gone through. Telling you what, when I look at that life, every once in a while, someone will say, boy, you rode an airplane four hours with you big, tall, lanky guy, and probably had to eat your knees. I always think about that. Uh, It's not so bad compared to the Apostle Paul's shipwrecks. I think I'll just take an airplane ride for three hours. It's not that big of a deal. But boy, he went through some difficult times. And Apostle Paul tells a little bit of a strategy that he goes through when he's laboring together with the Lord through some difficult times. We'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow with the pastors and the men laboring together through distractions and frustrations and attacks and difficulties. It it comes. What did the Apostle Paul say? Well, if you would please look at 2 Corinthians chapter number uh, 4, And let's read this if we can. If you're comfortable, uh, I want to make you uncomfortable, okay? I'm going to ask you to stand one more time if we can, please. You heard what the pastor's job is to do, to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. (laughs) And so let's look at this real quickly if we can. Verse number 8. Verse 7. How about reading verse 7 with me? Everyone ready? Together. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power might be of God. Verse 8 says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Would you read verse 13, please? We having the same spirit of faith.
0: According as it's written, I believe, therefore have I believe, therefore see.
1: Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. Verse 15. For all things are for your sakes. Redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. Verse 17 and 18, let's read together. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen. Our Father, I thank you for the privilege to be an extension of Pastor Rice uh, at this congregation tonight. And Lord, thank you for everybody who's here and then those who will come tomorrow after their midweek service is over. God, would you please work in our hearts? I know I'm nothing. I know you're everything. I know that you do not need me, but once again, I need you, and I pray you please help me. Thank you for the sweet friends who are here. Help me to say what I need to say fairly rapidly tonight, Lord. It's a long day. Many have driven a long time, but I pray you administer on the inside while I try to share a few thoughts on the outside. We pray this in your precious name, amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul is spending the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 talking about the wonderful privilege of getting people the gospel of Christ. All things are that because we have been given the the gospel message in earthen vessels. Uh, We're the vessel and the gospel is in us through the Holy Spirit of God and we're supposed to get it out to other people. But he goes into a little bit of a testimony. He said, look. We are troubled on every side. He said, I just feel like trouble is meeting me on every front. When I go over here, trouble is here. When I back up, trouble says I'm here. When I step forward, trouble. When I move over, there he is again. I'm troubled on every side. Have you ever had a day like that? Where it feels like the trouble just is all around you? Trouble's every place. The bird singing out your windows, a vulture. <laughs> it's not a good day. Difficult things. You, you, you're thinking to yourself, you can't make this stuff up. This is crazy. How much opposition I'm getting, how many difficulties I'm having. Well, Apostle Paul is saying, you know, I have a day like that. Your mama told you you'd have days like that. And this is one of those days. It's difficult. He said, we're troubling every side. But the Bible says but we're not stressed out. We're not distressed. He said, I'm perplexed. He goes, I got more questions than answers. I'm scratching my head so much. I, I don't understand why is this happening. I'm perplexed. But I'm not in despair. He goes on to the next verse, I think verse number nine. Look at it, if you would please. He says, "We're verse nine, persecuted. But I haven't been forsaken. God's still with me. He said, I'm cast down. But I'm not destroyed. You know, whenever you have difficult trials of your life, and everybody has them, teenagers have them, single adults have them, married adults have them, senior saints have them, pastors have them, pastors' pastors' wives have them. Hey, nobody's exempt from problems. But someone said if all of our problems were hung out on a line, at the end of the day, you'd pick your problems and I'd pick mine. But we all have them. If we knew everybody's heartache in this room, if everybody just said, like, if just the people in the choir, and these are precious people, but if each of them just said, you know, one of the worst things ever happened to me, if each of them gave a testimony, we'd probably start crying and disbelief that how could they sing in the choir and have that happen to them if they revealed some of the deepest hurts. But Apostle Paul says, man, we're, we're, we're this, it's not a walk in the park what we're going through. He said, but I've learned a few things that I'm going to share with you. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He gives some strategies of what to do when you don't know what to do. What to, what to, what to do to, to work through the trials of life and labor together with God even though you got some pressure. Even though you've got trouble on every side and lots of more questions and answers and you're going through uh, times of persecution, you, you haven't been forsaken or even fallen down, but you're not destroyed. What do you do in times like that? Well, here's what the Apostle Paul did. Let's just see what he did. Number one, the Bible tells us that he believed God and he told him, I believe you. He believed God and he verbalized his faith in God. Look, if you will, please, he quoted Psalms 116 and verse number 13. Would you look at it? We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I what? We also believe and therefore speak. You know, one of the first things you can do when you have difficult times or trials that come to your life and my, my life one of the things we need to do and make a shortcut to it is to say, God, I trust you. Amen. I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. Right. Uh, James said like this, count it all joy when you fall into diverse diver's temptation. I don't know about you, but trials and different kind of trials and joy don't go in the same sentence with me. When I have a problem, I do not want to work through my problem. I want to transition out of my problem. <laughs> Yesterday. But God wants to oftentimes transform me through my problem and give me trust in him. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. The first thing that that Paul said, one of the first things he does, number one, he says, you know what? I believe God and I verbalize my faith in him. I've I've spoken. You know, that's, that's what happens when you get saved. I was witnessing to a lady last week, Katie, and I got to share the gospel with Katie. And Katie, at the end, I said, Katie, if Jesus is willing to accept your sin, would you be willing to accept his sacrifice? Because goes, oh, I've been waiting to do that. Okay. I said, okay. Do you believe you're a sinner and you can't save yourself? Oh, yes. Do you believe that sinners deserve hell to be separated from God forever? She said, I know. Do you believe that only Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection Could forgive your sin if you would come and accept him as your Savior. If he will take your sin, will you take his son? Jesus Christ, he says, yes, I am. I said, you know, the the Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, Katie, and with uh," the, now, confession is made. That's how I got saved. When I got saved, someone told me, and they said, do you believe that, John? I said, yeah. He said, now would you ask the Lord to save you? For whosoever shall. You know, that's how we got saved. If you're here today, you're not sure if you died, you go to heaven, please don't pass (laughs) go. Don't collect $200. Don't don't do anything. Don't leave. Don't get in your car without. Say, well, my my mama thinks I'm saved. It doesn't matter if your mama thinks you're saved. Well, my pastor thinks I'm saved. It doesn't matter that. Either you and God know that. If you don't know for sure you're saved, don't gamble. The greatest mistake in the world is to go to hell over a mistake. Make sure you know. Well, I'm not sure I remember when I got saved. That's because you weren't there, okay? You need to to have a time and a place when you get that settled. When you exchange your sin for God's Son. And when you do that, you believe in your heart and you confess with your... But after we're saved, it doesn't stop with that. After we're saved, the just shall live by faith. And faith needs to be verbalized. When you have a difficult time and trouble backs you into a corner, maybe that's when you need to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. The Bible says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Who giveth to all men and upbraideth not, and it shall be, but let him ask in faith. Nothing asking. Faith. You see the verbal and the faith of the heart and the verbally asking God. Listen, when you go through difficult times, that's the time you might want to kneel on your knees and say, God, I trust you. I don't understand. i got more questions than answers. I've got, I've got trouble on every side. I've got persecution. I've got frustrations. I can't. I just feel like I'm going to blow up. That's when we need to say, God, I trust you. Believe and verbalize your faith. That's what Apostle Paul said he did. Number two, he made his focus Jesus. Did you see Jesus pop up on numbers of those pages? Looking unto Jesus. He authored and finished the race. And, and, and make your focus upon the Lord. I am so glad that, that I have Jesus. Amen. I'm glad that Jesus has me. I'm glad that in all, when it's all said and done, it's going to be Jesus and me <laughs> for all eternity. So whatever problem I have today, if it is trouble on every side, I, I have Christ in my heart. Amen. The great song, What? Though wars may come with marching feet and beat of the drum, for I have Christ in my heart. What, though nations, rage as we approach the end of the age, for I have Christ in my heart. God is still on the throne. Almighty God is He. And He cares for His own throughout eternity. So let come what may, whatever it is, I only say that I have Christ in my heart. I have Christ in my heart. But whatever's happened around me, I need to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. Looking unto Jesus, the author. For me to live is, to die is gain. I am crucified with, nevertheless I live, yet not I but. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of, that's Christ, who loved me. And gave himself for me. When you have troubles, number one, believe God and verbalize your faith. And some of us, we might need to get quiet tonight and say, God, I trust you. I'm here because of you. I believe in you in my heart. You know I, I, I believe you. But verbalize it. <coughs> say it. I got a problem. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you with that. Lord. I need to take that. Let your care and, and turn your care to prayer be careful for but everything by prayer. prayer casting all your upon him because he cares for you trust God and verbalize your faith number 2 focus on the person of Jesus Christ and by the way what can we trust God for we can trust him for his purposes and his power boy listen to brother Arbo's testimony that wasn't a blessing drive up there and get a fancy-pantsy house for 500 bucks a month. Good night in the morning. I feel sorry for the rest of the world after hearing that right now. That's a wonderful thing. But you know what? That's how good God can be. You know, he did. He trusted God's purposes, that God brought him to that place and then God's power to help him. You know that he doesn't have a corner on that. He doesn't have a monopoly on the power of God. The provision of God, the same Jesus that he has, you have. And we can trust his purposes and his power. Notice what he says, if you would, please, to verse number uh, 14. Knowing this, that he which raised up Jesus from the dead raised up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. I want you to notice another thing real quickly. Not only believe God and verbalize your faith, tell him you believe him, Focus on the person of Jesus. Realize that it's His purposes and His power that helps us. But notice, don't make your problem about you. You know, the quickest way to waste hardship and trials is to make it about you. Make it about me, how it affects me, my thinking, my feelings, my desires. This is is interesting. In this chapter, you'll see numerous references to we, and us and our and really paul was taking the brunt of a lot of these problems but he, he didn't make it all about him it was about me and us and not me but us and we and our don't make it about you uh, trust and realize you know whatever problem i've been through other people have gone through that similar problem in the wee hours of the morning on april on august the 16th we had found out that our 17-year-old son was involved in a car accident. He was riding with a precious family in our church that loved him as much as we loved him. But uh, they he was a passenger in a seatbelt, and the driver was driving, and the man in the back was sitting there. They were having a good time. They were singing songs. And the lady got mad at her boyfriend. He was parked on the side and slammed the phone down and, Pulled out in front of their car and they saw her and tried to go around her. And as they were going around her, she decided to do a U-turn simultaneously. And they hit the back of the car, went up on the hillside, flipped over. And when it flipped over, it landed on the tires and the driver got out uninjured. The man in the back got out uninjured. But our son, still stuck in a belt with stretch marks on it, something broke his rib. And one rib went into his right lung and the other rib went right into his heart muscle. And a few moments after CPR and an ambulance pulled up and wasn't even attending to that accident, just drove just right behind him and put the, 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 the electric shock on him and did all the CPR and did all he could do to revive him. And then, unfortunately, he began to hemorrhage out of his mouth and his ears and his, and his nose. And they realized he had internal bleeding somewhere. And he went home to be with the Lord. And about three hours later, we got a call from the, the coroner. He said, Mr. Wilkerson, are you the... You the father of Tyler? I said, yes, sir. He said, we're sorry to tell you, after multiple other things, he just said he sustained fatal injuries. Mr. Wilkes. I'm so sorry. Your son died. And boy, I thought I I I was going to die myself. Linda was standing there in the hallway of her home at 2670 Magnolia Avenue, and she looked up into my eyes as I got the phone. She said, he's gone, isn't he, honey? We cried like little babies. But I tell you, one of the things that came to my mind really quickly is that we're not the only one to ever go through this. Even God knows what it's like to lose a son. He can help us. Other people have gone through this with a lot less help than we're going to help. We, we got like 1,100 cards in the first two weeks of, after his death of people just saying, we love you, we're praying for you with unbelievable support. One of the first things that came to my mind is, you know what? Other people have gone through this, and God helped them, and he can help us. And we're going to be in in a, a camaraderie of other people who have lost. No doubt in this room, there are precious people who have received similar news. I think about my friend, Brother Ed Bordell. His son didn't die suddenly. He died with an arduous battle with leukemia. The steroids had made him, he's just a boy, maybe 150 pounds at his heaviest, and now he's over 225, 30 pounds because he's bloated from the steroids, and he begins to bleed out his nose and his eyes and his ears, and he's got so much pain, and his dad's trying to hold him to find him a comfortable place, and, and his arms are about ready to fall off. He can't hardly hold him anymore up, and then he just goes in, into, into, into eternity. Well, I don't know about you. I, I think when I think about that, I thought, oh boy, that was hundreds of thousands of dollars of 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 bills and pressures and difficulties and hospital visits and chemotherapy and all the things and that's how he transitioned his son. But God helped him. And God How to help us? Don't make it about you. Make it about His purposes, His power. Once you to notice the next thing, real quickly, and we see the reasons. Trials come in seasons, and they come for reasons. Nobody has a breakneck, terrible life from start to finish. I know about. Matter of fact, most of our days are good days. Most most nights we don't go to bed hungry like much of the world does. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, even in this frigid temperatures that you experience here, and we have a few like that, not near as much as you, bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we usually can find a warm place, even when it's 41 below zero. We can find a place where we can get warm for for the time we have to be. God takes care of us, doesn't he? It's sad, but many people make a case about, and they spend their whole life angry and frustrated about a few things done against them at the expense of all the things God's done for them. Well, they have maybe something didn't go right here, there, and everywhere, but most of their life's been a good life, and yet we focus on the negative. You know what? Trials come in seasons, and they come for reasons. Here's a couple reasons that God gives us for trials. Look, if you would please, at verse number 15. For all things are for whose sake? Your sake. They're for the sake of others. They benefit other people when we go through difficult times. That the abundant grace, that's grace is God's help, might be through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. You know, when you have a problem, you know what it does? It humbles us. And when you have a problem that you can't solve, you have to say, oh, no, I need help. And you know what that caused you to do? Ask. Yeah. And you know what that does? That causes God to give his grace to the humble. And when we ask God for help, we humble ourselves. But what makes us pray is helplessness and faith. <laughs> and some of us, we don't pray because we, we, we got this. I do this all the time. We don't pray about stuff because we think we're, we got it. We do this. I mean, I do this with my eyes closed. But the truth matters. I need God all the time. But helplessness, I'll tell you when you pray, when your loved one's in the hospital in the ER tonight and they can't do a blooming thing about it, they don't know what the problem is. You, you know what you're going to do? You're going to pray. Because now it crossed the threshold of your abilities. You got helpless real quick. I get helpless. We'll talk to God. And then we talk to him and we get humble. And then what does God do? He gives us his help. That's what grace is. It's God's supernatural help. Did you save yourself? No, for by grace. We're saved by grace. God's help. And he helps us. Then when he helps us, we're thankful. And we thank him. We give the thanks to him. Well, when you get help and you're a mess and someone helps you, oh, you're thankful. And then it brings glory to God. You know, that's one of the reasons why we're still breathing today is to bring good to others and give glory to God. Helping others and honoring God. If if you're not doing that and I'm not doing that in my life, I'm really wasting the breath God gave me. I'm supposed to give others a good opinion of a God that loves us and does so much for us. (laughs) See, we find there's a reason for trials. Trials have a reason. They humble us, and we ask God for help. He gives us His help, and then we become very grateful people. And then we bring glory to Him. Then I want you to notice real quickly the next thought real quickly. And, of course, we're just talking about how to handle problems, laboring together with God through problems. Trust God and verbalize your faith in Him. Focus on the person of Jesus. Consider Jesus who endured such contradiction of sinners. Boy, if you say, Pastor, I'm having it so bad. Did you ever have it bad as Jesus had it? No, no, I don't think we can compare with that, right? I think we can make it. When you consider what Jesus, he did nothing but good and got nothing but bad. We do nothing but bad, get a few things bad, and we get mad. (laughs) Something's wrong with us. Got stinking thinking. Focus on Jesus. Focus on His purposes and His power. Focus on the purposes and the reasons so that we can get His grace and thanksgiving and glory to God. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. And I think we can see it real quickly in verse number 16. For this cause, for which cause we do what? We don't quit. For our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. You know, when you have problems, one thing you don't want to do is quit. The old, the old poet said, when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the roads you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, huh? When care presses you down a bit. Sir, ma'am, rest if you must, but, but don't quit. Success may be failure when it seems like it's so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things go wrong, you mustn't quit. He said, for this cause, we faint not. We don't quit. Because problems and trouble can put pressure on the, internal, on the external, the outward man. But the inward man is renewed day by day. God's doing an inner work of grace. One thing all of us need is inner man strength. We need inner man strength to stay when we want to leave. We need inner man strength to study when we want to watch a football game. We need inner man strength to forgive when we want to hold the grudge. To give when we want to keep. Inner man strength to soul win. Inner man strength to disciple converts. You know, I think about listening to Brother Arbo's story, and I'm so glad Pastor Rice has having him do that. But you can hear the wonderful story about the 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 um, the the uh, nursing home. But how many years did he say he did that nursing home ministry? Twenty two years. When did they start giving him five hundred dollars a month? Year number fourteen with nothing on his own gas, his own dime, his own time, 14 years times 52 weeks, hundreds of times going to that nursing home, 48 funerals in one year, doing what he had to do. I think that's called inner man's strength, don't you think? Let's keep going. Well, sometimes all we can do is put one step in front of the other and keep going on. Though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed day by day. And then he goes on to say that really all of our trials are temporary trials. Amen. The doctor said I got cancer. If you're saved, it's temporary. Not to belittle that, but the truth of the matter is, uh, it's temporary. Every problem you have as a child of God is God's temporary problem. Because one day God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. There will be no more night, no more sorrow. No more death. No more dying. Everything. He goes on in verse 17. Look at it with me. We'll conclude. For our light affliction was but for a what? Yeah. Just a short time. It worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not to things which are seen. But the things which are not seen. Which are temporal. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. Dear friend, how we handle our problems has eternal impact and dividends. Impact on others and dividends for you. The Bible says, Blessed is a man that endures temptation or trials, because when he is tried, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord giveth to everyone who loves him. Listen, God never wastes problems. He never wastes trials. He never wastes an attack. Look, look it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't Satan who thought about Job. That was, that was done by God. He said, you know, I think, I think Job can handle it. I'll help him. Have you considered my servant Job? I don't know about you, but when you have a problem, one thing you might want to think sometimes, you know, God entrusted me with this problem. He thinks I can do it. He, he's going to do it. And all this Job sin not, sin not nor charge God how? Like an idiot. No, he, did, he didn't do that. He, didn't, he, 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 he exercised wisdom. Faith in God. And we're still talking about Job. And if you don't know your Bible, Job. <laughs> we're still talking about him. For all that God used him to do. And when you have a bad day, you can say, well, it's not as bad as Job. He trusted the Lord. God used him. And he has an eternal impact on our own life today, many hundreds and years later. Hey, it's trouble been your constant companion. Believe God and tell him, I trust you, Lord. I don't understand. I got more questions than answers, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take my care and make it prayer. I'm going to cast all my care upon you. Know you'll help me. I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to trust your providence and your presence and and your purposes and your power. I'm going to ask you for help. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep on doing what God wants me to do because my problems are temporary and they have an eternal impact. Let's pray together. Could you stand with me? If God has spoken to your it's the time. Uh, preach your lungs out, help us this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor. Pastor, I appreciate it. Thanks for the privilege. I appreciate that. And uh, once again, glad to be with you. Uh, this session today is, uh, I'm going to need your help, and and, and because I, I don't think that uh, I have all I need to do to talk about this, but many of you do. Uh, even with Brother uh, Brother Buechert there, 33 years in the same place. When I grow up, I'm going to be like you one day. And... Uh, uh, we have others that, uh, that uh, brother Harness. I heard him preach last year, and boy, did such a great job! And brother Arbo, and many of you who have been pastoring people, we're so glad to be with you. And I don't have all the answers, and I'm still, I'm in, I'm still uh, in school. Uh, I might be getting out of romper room soon and going into kindergarten, but uh, there's a lot to learn uh, in the work of the Lord, and still learning. But I, I certainly. I'm grateful to be with you and excited about the chance to share time together. Once again, I love you, and I'm glad to be with you. Here's a couple of, of books. This one is uh, Brother Keith Piper. He's a, a pastor in Sydney, Australia, Liberty Baptist Church. He's a brainiac. He, the, the thick book back there, he wrote that. It's just Seed Thoughts. This is a little microcosm of the big book, and so he allowed me to print it. So I just uh, printed, brought a few copies just to give away here. And it's called Establish in the Faith. And just really thoughts of different uh, stuff from um, that he has come up with and be of help to you. It might be a blessing. You can thumb through it. But uh, I'll give this away. to so someone can tell me uh, the uh, the theme of uh, two of First Timothy's principles, verses 1 or one through 3, two of them. Who could do that? Raise your hand and tell me what they are. Yes, sir, Brother Scott. Keep your pure, uh, very good. Very good. You can take that back there. There we go. I'm gonna toss it to you. Is that all right? <coughs> there we go. The guy who plays for the Edmonton Elks, there. I wish he did. All right, here's another one like that. And uh what uh, always precedes a shipwreck doctrinally? Yes, sir. Shelton? A swerve, very good. Take that right back there. the Boss, can you pass that back to him? I don't trust his catching ability of this joke. There we go. Very good. All right, this is a soul winner's new testament, a little leather soul winning testament to share the gospel with someone uh, that way. And so let me, if I can, uh, tell me, someone tell me why we ought to pray for government leaders. Yes, sir. Very good. Excellent job. Thank you very much. And get back to you. Ready? All right. Okay, uh, today I've been asked to talk a little bit about leading and, and ministering, laboring together through distractions um, and uh, dealing with distractions in the ministry. Everybody has them. Uh, everybody has those. And uh, depending upon, uh, and the more people, the more problems to some extent. Uh, but uh, the Satan is working in, the, in, the in and behind the scenes. And, and anytime there's a, a spiritual... Uh, progress. There will be there will be satanic attack, and uh, Satan. All he has to work. You know, he has a demonic world, but he uses human beings oftentimes to do that. He uses climate. We find that in Job, he caused a storm to come. That so he has some ef- effect on the weather. Uh, I am assuming when given permission to do it. Um, but uh, he uses uh, people. the The Sabians came and stole. Stole the, uh, the, the cattle from Job, and, and then the Chaldeans came and stole his camels, and, and then the storm came, killed his kids. Um, lots of things that Satan has. He's not omnipresent, he doesn't have absolute authority. Everything he has, he can do, he can do delegated or it's father filtered. But distractions are a reality uh, in ministry, and they're very difficult. Very challenging. Uh, Paul said last night, we saw in our text, he said, I'm troubled on every what? Side. Side. He says, man, I have got trouble meeting me at every, every uh, place. He said, but uh, I'm not stressed out about it. I'm not distressed. He said, I'm perplexed. <laughs> said, I don't know what to do. I got more questions than answers. He said, uh, but I'm not in despair. Not in despair. Not in despair. Cast down, but I'm not destroyed. Persecuted, but I haven't been forsaken. I know God's with me. But, but those are not favorite words. I don't, I don't like trouble. I don't like perplexities. I don't like persecution. And I don't like being cast down. But those are realities. And everybody has challenges. And, of course, I stepped into a church, and it's much different than most of yours, and that uh, First Baptist Church of Long Beach, my first pastor at 32 years old, um, it had been 13 months without a pastor. The pastor had failed uh, prior to that in a, in a moral failure, and so there was challenges. And um, there was just no way to go, nowhere to go but up. And we had a 1,500 seat auditorium. There were 100 people there, if that many, on a Sunday morning, and scattered all over the auditorium. No one would sit in the front. There were maybe 10 people in the first 10 rows, and most everybody was sitting in the very back. It was just a time of difficulty. And you couldn't rope off any it was a kind of a taboo to rope off any areas of the the auditorium, so it just I felt like the, everybody was so far away from me in that in that room <clears throat> and i i when I was candidating, I asked people how many you know how much debt do we have here what what is your financial' yeah, oh, it's bad it's bad bad it's like like how bad oh we're still working on it, we're still working on it <laughs> and uh, when I became the pastor, they figured it out to the penny <laughs> and uh my first Monday morning there was a stack of bills and it was $899,000 and 78 cents of bills that were stacked on the desk and I couldn't believe it. I said how much? $900,000 worth of bills and it wasn't like it was uh, some loan that we didn't we didn't fulfill it was leases and and air conditioning units that we needed to pay off and and air-conditioned folks that, that needed that got, did some work didn't get paid, and cars, and photocopies, and oh, photocopiers, and just more things than you could shake a stick at. <coughs> and then I got many phone calls that I was had my little light was blinking on the desk, and I had a little secretary's desk and a folding chair, and there was a big, it was an office, but I had none of my stuff on there, I didn't even have any office furniture, and so it was just a little secretary's desk and a folding chair, and all these bills on one side, and then I had another paper that it said, Pastor, we're $26,000 behind on our mission support. We have 58 missionaries. This is June the 9th and we have 11th and we have not yet paid our, our march as missionaries. What would you want me to do? And then I listened to a few of their phone calls and they told me, you know, missionaries were saying, hey, did we not get our letter? Are we not communicating? What's the problem? We need your support. And it was just I, I thought, oh, my goodness. I remember just falling, putting that paper on the floor and just falling on my knees in that little carpet-slash-parquet floor there and, and just saying, God, please help me know what to do. I don't know what to do here. And God really took a mess and made a miracle in so many ways. And, and really, I think a lot of it, a lot of it was, was getting, uh, having a heart for God's big world. And then He'll get a heart for your little world. And, and trying to pray and support world evangelism. Because I think when I when in the process of doing that, God gets he gets you get God's attention because God so loved the world. And if you love the world, that means you're loving what God loves. And I think that he can give through us what he'll not give to us and give us enough to take care of our needs, too. And I really think that's part of that. That was part of the strategy that I saw early on. And in those 13 years in Long Beach, the Lord helped us uh, Helped us to win and disciple 760 people in 13 years that we saw saved, baptized, discipled. And it was just one after the other. I didn't know that many people were getting saved. And not all of them took the journey with us, but many in English. And then another 700 in Spanish and had some in Korean and Cambodian and Khmer and, or in the, uh, in the uh, Khmer language and also in Tagalog. And it was just amazing what the Lord did there. And that debt finally went away about uh, nine years later. And uh, we'd able to pay off all of our debt. And, and uh, then we added fifty eight missionaries to 432 missionaries. And, and a lot of our people didn't even have their own house. They just rented. Uh, but God, there's much food in the tillage of the poor. And God really begins to work with people. And I begin to see miraculous things take place. And we had one bus, one shuttle, and we ended up. And I'm not saying any of this to brag on me because I was... You know, I was clueless. I, I just was just slugging it out one by, one day at a time. I don't have a lot of administrative abilities. We just started seeing people saved and discipled. I do believe in those two concepts and soul winning and discipleship. And it takes time, and you got to put the pedal to the metal. It's like a boxer. A boxer has to have a one-two punch. If you just were a one arm boxer, all you do is just the one arm. You're going to get knocked out. But you got to have that one soul winning and and edification you got to have that that evangelism edification soul winning discipleship you got to keep it going continually and in some churches they just do this all the time and some churches do this all the time they have no one to win no one to disciple because they don't win the lost and it's it's a it's a continual process that that the, the leader uh, whoever that is in your church we've got to say god give me help to to keep that a passion 'Cause it's much more a passion than it is a method. Oftentimes we come to meetings, I want methods. I want to know what do you do, how do you do it? And there are things we can pick up. The discipleship materials that are available here in Canada, I think Brother Dave took the opportunity to print those. Thank you for doing that. I'm glad they're available. They're just a tool, like these tools right here. Could you imagine trying to saw a board without with a knife? You know, aren't you glad you have a sawzall, you have you have a, a skill saw, it's something that makes things a little bit easier. But they're just tools. Discipleship is not a book. It's not a program. It's one Christian sharing the life of Christ with another Christian. But it gets you together with them. And it can help you in that area. And if you work, if you work it, it works. You know, it'll work. It'll work. But it's going to be time, you know. Sometimes Sunday nights at my house, I sit at my kitchen table and disciple new converts. And it's not easy. I'm tired on Sunday night. And it's, it's been a long, been a long weekend and to sit down there and and eat a bite to eat and then go over a discipleship and spending time with people uh, going to meetings. If you can try to take other men with you, uh, if you can take other men with you, because they'll, they'll, that's life on life. In a car and taking time to talk, listening to messages. What do you think about that? What did God show you? What, what is your takeaway there? It's that one-on-one. It's got to be there. You know, Jesus, the God-man, um, three and a half years with 12 men, and he knew this. If they didn't get it, we wouldn't get it. We wouldn't be sitting here today had he, not, had he just came down the cross and went back to heaven. Most of his time was trying to get into the hearts of 12 because if, if they didn't get it and people did not see, you know, they, they took knowledge of them. They were ignorant. None of us would have seen Jesus and his disciples as sharp, sharp staff right there. I'll tell you what, no. You'd probably say, really? That one guy always says, I can't believe this. This is stupid, man. Can't believe it. Let's go get killed. You want to? Yeah. You know, it's just so negative. You know? Two of the guys are fighting for one and two seats. They want to be first and second. Always fighting, you know, in, in that situation. One guy still has a cussing problem after three and a half years, you know? You know, there's, you know they, they weren't all that in a bag of chips. They might have been a bag of chips, but they weren't all that. No, they, they, they had issues, and but they were faithful, and Jesus worked with them and loved them and helped them, and, and when it was all over, the Spirit of God came inside of them. Man, they did great exploits for the Lord. All but one was martyred for the cause of Christ. And then John, the teenager of the group, lived longer than everybody, and and wrote to get, got the revelation of Jesus Christ and and captured it. And so I think we've got to learn that, that, that it's got to be done. And everybody can do that. You don't you can be a bivocational pastor and train other people. You can have a pastor, you can have a church of thirteen and train one, two. God can help you. And uh, but distractions are gonna happen. Where there's movement, there'll be friction. And sometimes they come. I think one of the more difficult seasons of my early pastorate was uh, was dealing with a young widow. That uh, you know, God said to the young widows, refuse. Doesn't mean don't help them at all, but don't give them long term help because they'll become idle, busybodies, speaking things they ought not. And just when Christ isn't enough, they'll be they'll be looking around for for a man. And I didn't. I mean I, I knew that was in the Bible, but I didn't I saw it play out right in front of my eyes and very few people have complicated my life even more than a young widow did for about three months. Oh man, it was unbelievable. Standing on her horn out in the middle of the street, beeping and trying to get people to come out and help her with through problems. I would get up and preach and she was singing in the choir and and whenever I would say, Open your Bibles please, she'd always she'd come down, sit in the choir, and then she'd sit in the second row and she'd stand up and prance out. Every time it was come time to preach. I went from being Pastor Wilkerson to Wilkerson. <laughs> hey, Wilkerson, you know. Oh, you're going to listen to Wilkerson, are you? Meeting after meeting, trying to reconcile, trying to get it straightened out, trying to keep her kids in a Christian school, uh, trying to keep her kids from getting into the Department of Social Services, all kinds of things. <clears throat> and uh, finally had to had to remove her from our church with church discipline and boy you talk about something that getting calls in the middle of the night cussing you out and getting upset with you and then having to remove them from the church role was very hard and you talk about a lot of stress but here's what i found out uh i was stressed out i mean people were saying let's let's get a restraining order let's do this let's do this and boy and then some people were saying we're not loving her enough and i'm like yeah uh, i think so you know and you know. Boy, everybody had opinions about what you should do, and boy, it was so difficult. Everybody has all kinds of challenges of, of that, and you're trying to think, man, I'm supposed to pastor these people, and I got this one person. I don't know how someone could be so destructive. One individual can cause so much stress. I mean, I can't get three, I can't get three minutes go by without her coming to my mind's eye another problem. I mean, I got, I got the postman coming by. I, said, I can't believe how you treat people around here. It's like, what, what are you talking about? Oh, that girl told me all about how you guys do that. I'm like, oh, you got it. A postman? <laughs> I'm getting calls from beauty salons, nail parlors, saying, yeah, you guys, I always knew you guys weren't anything. Now nah, I can't believe what you would treat this person. I'm like, ah, uh, there's two sides to that story. You know, if you want to know both sides, we can talk about it. I'm like, come on. Create long... Then, of course, a year and a half later, I remember her coming into the office and, and uh, in sweatpants and in a, and a sweat, sweatshirt and a hoodie. and She said, Pastor, can I see you? I said, Phew. Told the secretary, I said, stay right here, girl, okay? And, and we'll <laughs> talk God. to her. And, and uh, kept the door open, and I said, how can I help you? She said, Pastor... Um, I have a friend of mine that's struggling that they have a baby coming and is abortion ever an option for them? Should I tell them abortion's ever an option? I said, is that friend you? She said, yeah. I need to keep the baby, don't I? I said, you need to keep the baby. My wife watched that baby till she went into school. Babysitted that baby and worked out and Few few, about a year later, she said, Pastor, I think I'm ready to reconcile with church. And would you be willing to present me back to the church as a member? And going through that, that hardship and, boy, working through it, but seeing she never became the person she was before. She could've, I could have made her an assistant pastor years ago. So she was amazing. She knew everybody's name. She visited the hospital. She was just a great lady, but just went wacky after her husband died. But now she's back in church and loves the Lord and worked through some situation. Her kids have kind of gone off the rails. But uh, so many things happen whenever you don't do right, you know. But, boy, just dealing with that distraction, that's one area. I think dealing with some of the past in First Baptist Church of Hammond, we've had a 136 years there. It's been an unbelievable place and started by a, a church planner, 52 years old, moved into Hammond rented a rented a house and began winning people to christ in april of 1887 um, and then won people to christ started having his home bible study in august and then november they had they rented the attic of the morton house hotel and the carlton hotel and started getting people there and they signed a charter 12 people in that town they had two big slaughterhouses and a railroad coming through if you've ever been to hammond you know there's railroads there and uh they, they, they got uh, one couple, one married couple, two sisters, and eight single adults to sign the first church first service, official church service, the first Baptist church. The first mayor had some property. and said, you know, you guys are growing. You're down at the opera house on Sunday morning. If you'll take this property and put a building up there, we'll give it to you. And they gave them the little property on Sibley Avenue, and they put the first building up there. He stayed there for one year till April of 1888. And then Pastor Hewitt came and took the group of people, built a building, and began to go. And, of course, uh, Brother Hiles was there in 1959 until 2001, 42 years. Brother Scott, another, another uh, 10, 11 years after that. And it's always been a, a great soul-winning church, but there's been problems, been some problems. Brother Hiles' son broke his heart and, and uh, disappointed him greatly, complicated a lot of things. He didn't handle everything didn't want to believe anything was wrong and, and didn't just felt like you could just pat him on the head instead of deal with the problem. And uh, that's complicated our life today with so many silliness and things that, that are not necessary going on now. Everything we do now is, is, is a little bit different. And of course, a different day too. A bit different day in time, different way of people deal things today. And the litigious society today is much different than it was back then and challenges and the way people thought but uh, trying to pastor people when you're getting a protest or when you're getting someone to just... When everything you say or do is being challenged on social media, anything you say or, or anything that happens at that pulpit seems like it catches everybody's attention, everybody has judgment uh, about what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And, and, and trying to pastor people while, while going through these these attacks, whether it be from unsaved people, I remember... Sitting down talking with two of the organizers of the protest, and for 52 minutes, and just showing up my office unannounced. And hey, we want to talk to you, you know. At our service starts at six, and at five o'clock they want to talk to me and sit down, and listen to them, and try to reason with with their thinking, and and uh, you know, and, and uh, try to ask them questions. They, they're, you know, I think it's some some. Remember that questions soften the t- conscience, uh, accusations harden the will. You know, Jesus. Uh, ask and if you combine all of the all of the, the gospels, I think there was over, I don't know. I think someone told me over 200 questions that Jesus asked. He answered two without a question, but he asked a question, and he, and, and he, he dealt with that. And I think it was a wise thing that many of us need. I need to learn it better because we're all so good about telling how we feel about everything, given our opinion. But uh, he asked questions, and, and the questions uh, were used to provoke conscience and to soften consciences and cause people to think of things. But trying to lead people through distractions, I, I, don't, I don't know what you know. Everybody is different. Financial problems, um, financial money's in the middle of everything that you do. Every one of us have thought about money today already. If I ask you how, you could tell me how you thought about money, and I could tell you how I thought about it. I don't. I don't think any. There's any exception to that. I think how many could say, Pastor, I I can think how I thought about money already today. anybody think of that? I I would say everybody has thought about in some way whether a gas, a gas price, or, or this or that or whatever. You we we've we've contemplated that, and that's a distraction sometimes. I used to think, you know, boy, the ministry would be great if it weren't for two things: people and money. But you know, the truth of the matter is, those are two constants. Working with people and, and managing finances is what, it's what everyone has to do. We ha- it ha- it's it's right, in, right in my face all the time. And some of that is, is some of the most wonderful, miraculous things that you could ever imagine. Some of them are the most stressing, frustrating things that you could deal with. And so yours is unique to you and it's equally stressful to you as mine is to me. You know, I think about what Paul said when he looked in the eyes of the Ephesian pastors there on the shores of Miletus there outside that boat he was getting ready to get on, and he said, "You know, guys take take heed to yourselves. Take to your to your own walk with God, your uh, your own personal purity, your family role. You you got to do you got to do your homework, because if uh, you can you can, pastor of the church, but you're not supposed to be a uh, another another woman's man." So you you got you to make sure you do your homework and take heed to yourself. And then take heed to the flock, the group of people that God has given to you, which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer. So you're supposed to lead and to feed the flock of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. Um, and, of course, our jo- a pastor's job is to lead and feed. people's job is to follow and swallow <laughs> and uh, trying to trying to, to oversee, to lead it, and to, and to feed them and love them and help them. And sometimes it's difficult to lead when you got so many fires going everywhere and distractions. Who, who in the Bible uh, comes to your mind? I'm, I'm asking you to help me today. Who in, who in the Bible comes to your mind that tried to lead with some distractions? I might want to find who didn't have to lead with the distractions. Yeah. But who comes to your mind? Who, who comes to your heart and mind as you think about that? Yes, sir. Moses. Moses. Oh, it's unbelievable. He was known as the meekest man in all the earth because he was willing to adjust to another's pace or agenda. You know, the Bible says a meek and a quiet spirit is very valuable in a woman. But then in verse number seven of 1 Timothy chapter three, he says, likewise, the man, (laughs) the husband, we ought to have meekness too. You know, some of us, they built a street after us one way, (laughs) named a street after us. We have to have it our way. But truth of the matter is meek, meekness is, is a willingness to adjust. You can't just have it your way all the time when you want it. You try to lead a church that way, it would be you and three other people. Very long. They're not going to go with that. There has to be meekness. There has to be uh, a willingness to adjust to their pace, their agendas. You have to keep God's agenda number one, but you, but you need to work with people in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, you know. Good, but Moses, what a great, great thing. And you know, too, we'll talk about this a little bit tomorrow, but Moses and Joshua is a fairly good handoff. Who did Joshua hand it off to? What happened? Every man did that which was it was awful. No success without a successor. There has to be that thought process inside of us, thinking about that. It's a good point. Very good. Who else led with distractions? The Apostle Paul, with any particular uh, part of his ministry, when do, when do he have distractions? <laughs> that question was asked on purpose. Oh, I tell you, what, after I've been pastoring here for 11 years, I'm sure things are going to smooth out. Boy, it'll be great. Battle still goes. And some of you who pastor in 30 years, after 30 years, by the way, you can, people, young pastors, are gonna, by now you can do whatever you want to do, right? No. No. I still have opinions that are not yet accepted. I still have ways of doing things we just haven't been able to get there yet. Still have a few distractions going on. Paul, all through his ministry, early on when he first set out with Paul and Barnabas, uh, till till he was at the end, Demas hath forsaken me. Could you imagine that little argument that they would have had, or Demas coming and saying, know, Paul, I'm out. I'm out." Uh. <laughs> I just, I can't take it. Everybody's criticizing you. I'm getting criticized. I'm in the same boat with you. And he goes, I think I'm just going to go. I miss the, he didn't, he, having loved this present world, you know. A lot of times people leave and it's not personal. It's it's worldliness. It's lust. It's desires for just not to, I don't want to stand out anymore. I want to blend in. And I want to just get get into, I just I just don't believe the same. I'm not convicted by that. You know, that's, that must have hurt him. Must have been a little distraction at the end. And you're going to have those your whole life. So I, I think what uh, I'll direct your attention to uh, Peter. Let's go to First Peter, if we can, please, in chapter number 4. <clears throat> First Peter, chapter number 4. Let's pick up, if we can, please, at uh, verse number 12. Could you read out loud with me, gentlemen? Ready? First Peter 4, verse number 12. Ready? Beloved, think it not strange the
2: fiery trial, which is to
1: try you. So when you have distraction, what's the first thing it says there? Think it not like duh. Don't don't get don't walk into the victim model and say I can't believe I tried everything right I can't believe it's happening. No, he said it goes with the territory. Where there's movement, there'll be friction. Where there's spiritual progress, there'll be satanic attack. It goes with the territory. Think it not strange this fiery trial? I don't know about you. Fiery trial doesn't not something I embrace. Not oh yeah, bring it on, buddy. I'm ready. No, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for that one. I don't want that to come my way. He said, when it comes, it's going to come, and don't be surprised when it comes. Verse number 13, read that if you would, please. Who could have one person read that? Who's got that ready to go? Okay, go ahead, Brother Brickham. Very good. And you know at, uh verse 16, yet if any man suffer as they what? You don't see it too often in the Bible, but uh, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. Uh, you know, Jesus, can you imagine the distraction that Jesus had? He set his face like a flint. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to do this process. Uh, you know, most of us, I don't know that he had very many restful times where he wasn't badgered. Just always having a critic in every audience. I remember going to uh, hear a man say to me when I came to First Baptist Hammond, he goes, Look, you're never going to be my pastor. I'm not trusting the pastor again, so you will never be my pastor. My wife, my kids, any a pastor will be there, but don't expect to ever be my pastor. And he would sit right there with his arms folded every service. I'd be preaching along. Let's go look over here. I don't want to look over there. I'd, I'd like, Man, it's like, wow, why do you keep coming? You know, and, you know, it's just a challenging, challenging situations where you just you, and hurting people can hurt people. And so, well, I think, first of all, we can't think it's strange whenever we go through difficult distractions. I think it's, it just goes with the territory. Everybody's different. But that's my first thought real quickly. And number two, we need to pray our way through our problems. Now, let's go back real quickly before we do that. I think we, well, talk about some other people. Peter, Peter, one who said this, think it not strange. And So Paul says, I'm on every side. The disparity even of life at one time. All the things of litness things and the beatings and the, the laying away of the Jews and the things that he talked about. We can see Nehemiah, remember Nehemiah? Building a wall. I mean, he wasn't a preacher, but he was a leader for God, doing something admirable selfless, sacrificial on his part. He probably had a plus job and lived every day in the palace. Uh, man, and then he said, you know, hey, can you give me a chance to go back? What do you want to do? I ah, want to hang some doors, hang some gates and fix a wall. How long are you going to be gone? How about this long? And then he got the permission of the king. And then he said, you know, I think I'm going to need some wood. Can I get some wood from your guy out there? He goes, all right, he gave him the provision of the king. <laughs> and then he said, I think I've got some enemies on that trip there. Can we take some protection too? He gave him some permission, protection, provision to do the work of God. But then he had problems from without. Samballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the arrangement. Right in the middle of the project, the women started crying and saying, we don't have no money. We got money problems. These guys... These lords that don't put their necks to the work, they, they got our money. We, we've we mortgaged all of our property just to pay them, and our kids are slaves because of them. And in the middle of a big project, he had to stop and have whole chapter 5 on how to figure out the finances. And, boy, money's in the middle of everything. You know, and then he builds, and they made fun of him. They made threats, all the things. And he said, you know what, all right. They, at the end, they said, well, just come over here to this little retreat center in Ono, and we can talk about it. You always want to say no to oh, no. <laughs> say no, I'm not doing that. He goes, you know what, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down right now. What I'm doing is bigger than, than your distraction and your criticism, your opinions. And those are challenging to know when to answer, when to not respond. When do you make a statement? When do you not make a statement? When did, can every, I, it drives me crazy. What's your statement? What's your statement? I want to stick my tongue out of them. Say, how about that? You know, <laughs> like that statement? All right, good. <laughs> You know, I want to pull their arm off and beat them over the head with it, you know, or pinch their head off and spit in the hole, you know, and just say, hey, I'm not giving you a statement. You know, I'm not going to give you anything else. What else do you want, you know? Can you get blood out of a turnip or, you know, blood out of a rock? What do you, what do you want? Who are you anyway? What do, what do you need a statement for? You know, it's just so frustrating sometimes whenever that, that pressure comes or they want to take you aside and... Educate you and teach you about some stuff. When the truth of the matter is, you just got more—you got more, um, more things going. You can shake a stick at, you know, a lot of challenges to that. Well, number one, thinking not strange. Number two, pray through your problems. Be careful for nothing but by prayer, prayer supplication, now with Thanksgiving. You always want to add Thanksgiving, no matter how bad your situation is. You think you got something to be thankful for? Isn't it wonderful when you go home at night and you still got your wife and kids there? Amen. Still got a, you, you still got you still you got someone that loves you. You got the opportunity to love somebody. You know, at the end of the day, God loves me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, there's a lot of things to be thankful for. He said, but pray your way through the problem. Uh, in the Bible, tells in James chapter one, uh, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation, trials, difficulties, distractions. When you when you have a problem, hey man. Count it all joy. You know why? Because God's doing a work in you while this, these pressures are coming on you. And the trial of your faith worketh what? Patience. And patience, you're gonna, you're gonna, patience is not like, oh, I gotta get to wait some more. No. Patience is developing muscles to face the next lift, to face the next problem. We live in a fallen world. And you know, David. Before there was a Goliath, there was a bear. Before there was a bear, there's a lion. And it was it was the time facing the bear and the lion that gave him confidence to face the Goliath. And I, I looked at that bills at eight hundred ninety nine thousand over the bill. I couldn't believe it. I was thirty two and just uh, I was going cross eyed looking at that thing. I thought this is unbelievable. You know. And then I go to Ham and there's eighteen point five million dollars worth of debt down to 8 million now but after 10 years or 11 years but you feel like you know it's not even close and then the bank comes and calls your note and says we're not going to continue to do it. you got to figure someone else something else out and you want to just take the keys and say you can have it <laughs> you know and you want a building take it you know you can't do it you still got to figure out how to do it God wants to help me through that you know you think about the problems and but you got to have the little battles to give you strength and faith and Tenacity to face the bigger battles. God's doing a work in you while, he's, while you got pressure going on you. You know, the difference between a, a clump of coal and a diamond? It's pressure. It's pressure. And I don't like it. I wish that weren't the case. But I'm telling you what, you've got a God who can do anything. Prayer can do anything God can do. And God can do anything. Oh, what grief we often forfeit. Oh, what needless... We bear all because, oh, man, we phone a friend. We get on Facebook and put our stuff out there and tell us how bad it is to be me. And and we, we, we walk right past the prayer closet, right past the one who can help us, can really help us. We think of people who's got some money that can help me. And God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We think, oh, man, I need, work. I need help. I need help. You know what God told you about that? Pray ye the Lord of the, that He will send forth. Oh, it's almost an indictment when I say, okay, well, can't get anybody to help me. People can say, you're a big baby, John. You don't even pray. God told you what to do with that problem. Pray the Lord of the harvest. So He'll send forth labors into His harvest. I think, I think prayer is the key to having the help I need. In, in people work in financial things. These are things that, that pray you gotta pray your way through them. Make your first don't make prayer our last resort. Make it our first priority. How many of us have ever said, all we do now is pray? <laughs> Listen, Spanky, you should have done that a long time ago. That shouldn't been your last thing. That should have been our first our first response, not our last resort. I'm not saying this is I'm talking to me, okay? You got one here and you got three coming back at me. But boy, oftentimes I find myself getting so creative on trying to manipulate circumstances so that I can get my my situation and I missed the opportunity to get the best because I don't want to pray through it. Pray through your problems, your distractions. I think another one too, stay focused on your eternal purposes and principles. What is God's greatest goal? What does God want? Brother Arbo wants the salvation of souls. He wants the world to. He's a God of global conquest. He wants the whole world to hear about Jesus. And it doesn't matter who you are and how big you are and where you are, it's your job to get the world the gospel from your corner. And wherever God puts you, it's your job to get the world the gospel. And if you'll stay focused on that, I think you'll attract the help and, and attention of God. You know what's interesting? with every one of the times that God tells us to uh, get the gospel to the whole world, he gives us a byproduct if we do it. In Matthew, he says, I want you to go and teach all nations, baptism in the name of the Son of God. And lo, I am what? Oh, how many would like to have the presence of God with us? And on our church, and on our lives. He said, look, you get the gospel out, I'll be with you. I'll give you my presence. In Mark, he says, now go preach the gospel to every creature, He said, if if you do this, if a snake bites you, ah, don't worry about it. If you drink poison, if someone gives you poison or you you drink bad water, I'll I'll take care of you. You get God's protection. I think think our churches, sometimes we we have opposition we don't really have to have if we would focus on the bigger picture, the protection of God. Luke, he says, I want you to preach the gospel to all nations, beginning at... Jerusalem. And I think it, it helps us stay on the program of God. But I don't want to have a church that's willing to give thousands of dollars every week for world evangelism, but won't want to cross the street to give a gospel tract to somebody. I don't want to just have people getting saved around the world. But we don't have we don't see we don't see what God can do in our area. It starts with this. We stay on the program of God. How about John? He says, the father has sent me. So send I you my peace. I give you. Well, you've got to have peace to make some progress. I mean, every pastor knows what I'm talking about when it feels like you've worked all day and you did nothing but put out problems, fires all day long. And you got got no, nothing done because you just, you just dealt with a bunch of minutiae. Boy, the beautiful days is watching God progress things when there's peace. And, you know, gospel-focused, winning and discipling people, that's the Great Commission, he said, You do that, just like God sent me, my father sent me, I'm sending you my peace I give to you. The Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. We're familiar with that. But you shall receive power, presence, protection. We, get, we have the opportunity to stay on God's program and his plan, making we work the inside out, peace and his power that comes to us if we get into this situation. So we got to keep in distractions, you got to keep a focus on. On winning one. You know, no matter how goofy the government gets, it doesn't keep me from winning one. It doesn't keep me from disciple. I'm not, not to a place where I'm isolated so much I can't disciple someone. No, no matter how bad the finances are, how bad the building is, how many things I need, it doesn't keep me from meeting with one. Talk to them about Christ and trying to disciple a new convert. I, I can do that. You can do that. Everyone in this room could do that. And it's just a matter of of a passion. Stay focused on that. Another one, try not to take the distractions personally. Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with? Okay, boy, I tell you what, that's a hard one for me. I I put try there just because I'm I'm still trying. (laughs) Because whenever someone says, I'm just not getting fed here. You say, you're so information-fat, application-skinny, it's not even funny. <laughs> you need to take off your stinking bib and put on an apron, buddy. You can feed yourself if you wanted to. You, you've been saved for 30 years. 30-year-old people that have been saved 30 years want you to pat them on the head when they really need a kick in the pants. <laughs> That's not getting fed. Not getting fed. You know, this is Stupid. But I've heard it, every pastor in here, if you've been pastoring for six weeks, you've heard it. And it's just, it's just the, way, the way of humanity, you know. But it's because people become an armchair quarterback. They stop working and they just start watching. It's like the big fat guy watching football. This guy can't throw 30 yards. You can't throw three feet. You can't even see over your gut. Hard for you to even see the television. You got a bag of chips and a Mountain Dew and you're saying, I'm gonna throw thirty yards. You know? And that's kinda how we are spiritually. People they quit, they quit, they can't, they 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 won't do anything, they just go to criticize everybody. And it's hard not to take it personal. You know, whenever you make a decision or your situations. But, you know, I think I think that's that has to be he said, I do all things for the elect's sake. All things are for your sake. For this cause, I faint not. Why? Because there's somebody in the balance who needs you and needs me not to take it personal. You can have a little pity party, walk around your lower lip and have the pooch mouth disease, or you can decide, you know what? I, I, need, to, I need to get my head straight and quit, quit worrying and, and, and folk run to God, pray my way through my problems, witness, disciple somebody, help somebody, I imagine Brother Arbo got a lot of encouragement just by going to the nursing home. The people slept and said, that was the best message I ever heard. You know, there's some encouragement that comes with that, you know. Some people talk in their sleep. I usually talk in other people's sleep. It's even, I'm, I'm, even, I'm even successful this morning. And some of you, you guys are doing a good job. Just come to church, get more sleep. I am the answer to all your insomnia problems. You know, just Come. But, you know, we've got, to, we've got to stay faithful to continuing, not taking it personal. There's lots of, I think, a lot of verses on that. You know, Apostle Paul, by the way, you get into a fight. You start slinging mud, mud you're losing ground. What, 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 whoever wrote Hebrews, not Apostle Paul, whoever wrote it, I don't know who wrote it, but I'm assuming it's him. But uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, he tells this guy, run the race. He says, look, when you run the race, remember the fan base. There's a great cloud of witnesses watching you. Heaven and earth. He said, you, remember, you gotta run light. You gotta lay aside every weight and sin. You gotta keep your goal." Jesus. Look into Jesus. You gotta remember that Jesus endured such contradiction of sinners. That contradiction means, like, against all logic. It just didn't make sense. What did he do so bad that they would say, crucify him, crucify, what, why, what? I mean, even the, 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 the wicked Guys that, that Pilate and Harris, I find no fault in him. What, what are you guys seeing? I don't see. What, is, what did he do so bad? He, was, he had no logic to why he was so attacked so viciously. Yes, so some of you are going to be attacked. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Yeah. And because we identify with him. It's not going to always make sense. And if you don't get that straightened out, in, in Ephesia, Hebrews, he said, you're going to weary and faint where? Between your ears. People who quit today thought about it yesterday. People who, who turn in the, throw in the towel, they, they already had the towel in their hand several days before that time, contemplating that. And if you don't think it's, it's normal, he's gonna have that problem. And then I think lastly, I'll just, but verse 14 of chapter 12, he says, he says, um, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man can do what? Okay. Nothing skews my spiritual vision of Christ like interpersonal problems with other people. when you run your race, you can't be fighting with the guy over here. Hey, 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 hey. What's gonna happen? You'll lose your focus and you'll be out of your lane, off your rug. He said, You follow peace and and you follow you follow holiness. Because if you don't if you start getting in arguments with people and so like this is my, this guy is my problem, I hope that guy falls off the planet pretty soon. and if that, that girl, she needs to get it straightened out, you, you spend all your time fighting every, all these things, you, you lose focus on Jesus. Yes. Then, then you don't run your race effectively. And then you, you fall over that root of bitterness that springs up and troubles you and defiles others. Last thought I would get on this on, on this is this, remember, That in distractions, you're specifically being platformed. Other people are watching you in your problems that we're not watching you in your successes and triumphs. It's when you're going through it. I tell you, I probably gained as much pastoral respect dealing with a hard-headed young widow in those three months People, people came to me and said, Pastor, I don't know how you did that. I can't believe that girl's back in our church. And you know, the, 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 just dealing with her without going to my default of anger and frustrations and, and that kind of thing, I found out there were scores and hundreds of people watching me deal with her. Protest. It's not about. It's not about me. It's not about the protest. It's about what. What people see. If they see you calm and not distracted and focus on the big picture. The night of the protest, it was kind of crazy. Miserable day. Sitting there with two of the organizers for 52 minutes before the evening service. Frazzled and going through mental gymnastics trying to figure out. I had a message ready, but man, this is getting stupid. Having to sit there and argue and think about I'm being recorded. They're recording me. They've got all these done things and dealing with these mental gymnastics. And then eight minutes later, walk into the pulpit and preach a message. Ten people got baptized that night, and the stories were like off the charts amazing. I mean, a truck driver who got a track came, and he came in the morning, and he and his brother sitting over there, and his his brother raised his hand, and his other brother said, put your hand down, man. He goes, hey, don't tell him to put my hand down. I don't think I'm saved, man. (laughs) Like this, you know, (laughs) That guy got saved. Two brothers got in a fight, but one guy got saved. And, and uh, he came back that night and got baptized. A little, a little man, a little girl that, uh, that uh, led, her ma, led her friend, another friend of the Lord, they said best friend, she came and she, she got saved in church. And then her two daughters got saved in Sunday school. They all got baptized. Their husband just enrolled this Sunday in our men's recovery home with addiction issues. And God is doing a work of grace right there. Another man I was on a prayer walk walking around Hammond. I met him I met him about three months before and interacted with him, but he never came. And all of a sudden a week before he shows up in church, walks in, I see him talking, and he says, Hey, I thought pastor was I thought Wilkerson there was one of those sub pastors. He's the real pastor here. And he said, are, are you a sub pastor? He goes, No, I'm the sub pastor. He's the real pastor of the church. He goes, Wow. And Kevin went to my house, led him to Christ, and he got saved, Kevin Anderson and he, uh, he said, you know, he said, this is crazy. He said, my dad's got cancer, four states. He got saved. I went over to watch him get baptized because he felt it was important to me. After watching my dad get baptized, the pastor said, why don't you get saved, Kevin? And he goes, he said, you know, if I get saved and baptized, John Wilkerson's going to do that. He said, well, who's John Wilkerson? He goes, I don't know. I met him in the park about, eight, about three months ago. He said, I don't know why, but you came to my mind that very moment when that guy said, why don't you get saved and baptized? He goes, no, if I get saved and baptized, John Wilkerson's going to do it. And I got a chance to get him saved and see him get baptized. And, and then there were about, about six other stories that just all on that same night. You know, the people walked out and said, Pastor, what a day. Whoa, boy. Boy, thank you for keeping, you know, that protest. Ah, that was nothing. Did you hear those stories? I said, isn't that something? But, you know, they're watching to watch me and to watch you and how we handle the attacks and distractions that come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege be an extension of your Holy Spirit to the lives and the flock of God. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.